thank you tonight for, the, for the, the desire in people's hearts to know more of you, to have more of you in our lives, or to know the more that we have of you, Father. And Paul prayed that prayer for the Ephesian church, that you would strengthen them by, their spirit, by your spirit in their inner man, that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith and being rooted and grounded in that love, that they would come to know together with all the saints the, the, the exceeding greatness of the love that you have, the height and depth and length and breadth, and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding so that we might be filled up with all of your fullness. It's your desire, it's your will to fill us up. Lord, tonight may we learn how to empty ourselves and open the, open the, the, open the way in our heart that we may be filled with all of who you are because the world we live in desperately needs to see you, desperately needs to know you. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 4. This feels weird, but it's going to work. <laughs> Romans chapter 4. Some of my favorite scriptures. Romans chapter 4 is, is one of the clearest uh, um, of Paul's teachings on what faith really is and how it works. And we've been talking for a number of months really on and off because I haven't ministered every Wednesday night. About, about walking by faith and why that's so critical. And, and there are many people right now going through some very serious trials and tests, some very difficult times, some financially, some in their marriages, some in their health, and some with all of those areas. And you can get to the point where you wonder, how much more can I bear? Why is this happening? Uh, am I going to make it through? What's going on with all this? And the Bible says a lot about that in some regards, and some things it's very silent about it. It doesn't say a lot about why. I've shared this with you before. But it's interesting that, that when uh, in the book of Job, which is a, the oldest book in the Bible, Job is a story of a man and his family that went through trials you don't ever want to think of. And, and most of those happened in about two days and lasted, they figure, about six to nine months. But Job, the, the first four, 38 chapters or so of Job is Job together with his friends trying to figure out why all this happened. And then starting around ver- chapter 38 and 39, Elihu speaks for God, and then finally around verse four, chapter 40, God shows up on the scene, and God starts speaking to the situation. And the interesting thing is, He never says why. All this debate about why, what did you do, did somebody else do this, who's wrong, who sinned, who did this, God didn't deal with that at all. He dealt with the heart issue that was going on there. And so, unless God shows us why, He doesn't want us to know why. Because why you get in... Now, if there's, a, if there's something you've done that's opened the door for this, then God will show you what that is. And the Word of God is very good at doing that. The Bible says it's, it's, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces down into the really in your depths to separate your thoughts and intents of your heart. And it's good for rebuking. It's interesting, the things it's good for, not a lot of encouraging things in there. It's good to correct, it's good to rebuke, it's good to give you a kick in the seat of the pants, basically. And there are times we need that because God loves us. So that's not what we're going to get into tonight, but there are many people dealing with these kinds of trials. And I want to read down through here through some Paul talking about the faith of Abraham. And I'll give you a little bit of background as we go through this, and then I'll show you where we're going to, where we're going to uh, leave from there. And I just went to the wrong place. Okay. Romans chapter 4. Romans, John. Romans, Romans, Romans. I know where it is. Chapter 4. We're going to pick up here in verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be accordance with grace, so that the promise may be sure or certain to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now he's going to get into Abraham's faith. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence, that actually means in the sight or in the view of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they do exist. Now, just some background for those of you that may not know, um, is that, because we haven't spent a lot of time over the last few years here in the Old Testament, is that Abraham was Abram when God came to him, and God told him that he was going to be the father of many nations. Now, at the point that God spoke to him, Abraham was 75 years old, his wife Sarah was 65 years old, and she was barren. 
She couldn't have children, and now she was past the age of bearing children, and he was past the age of being the husband of one that bears children. And God speaks to them and says to them, both of them separately, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to birth a nation and nations out of you, and they're too old to have a child and haven't been able to have one anyway. And I want to dwell on that a little bit because that shows you what an overwhelming challenge that was to Abraham and Sarah to stand and believe that in spite of all the contrary evidence that they got through their physical bodies. Every day when they got up, every time they washed themselves, every time they went to bed together, there was physical evidence that this ain't going to happen. If it's not happened by now, it's not likely to happen. And that's one of the things our minds work on. Well, I've never seen that happen. It's never happened to me before, so it can't possibly happen. I don't know anybody that received that healing for that kind of disease. You don't get healed of that kind of disease. All those natural thinkings, well, they're facing an overwhelming obstacle. Well, then after, and it doesn't happen right away. Anybody pray, ever pray for something and it didn't happen right away? And they're standing in faith. You know, Abraham didn't really stand in faith right away. If you read through the story, he got pretty weak, pretty quick, quickly. But and eventually he grew in his faith. And then, I've forgotten how far along it was, they decided this isn't working, so I think we're going to help God out. We know what God wants here. He wants us to have a child so that He can bless that child to be the father of many nations. And it doesn't seem to be working between the two of us. So Sarah comes up with this idea, and Abraham voted for it right away, that she would give him her maid to, to, to what they would call marry in those days, but basically that have a physical relationship with. And lo and behold, she conceives and brings forth a child, and they call him Ishmael. And then after he's grown, they come and, I love this scene, they come and present Ishmael to, to God and saying, see, we've done what you've said. And I'm shortening things down. And God basically says, I'm not accepting him. Why? Because you had something to do with it. You had something to do with this. You took my idea, and because it didn't seem to work, you thought you would help me out by adding your own physical effort to it, and God rejected that. God says, no, this is going to happen simply because I promised it and because you believed it. That's it. So finally when Abraham gets a hold of this, what happens is when he's 99 and she's 89, God appears to them again and says, by this time next year, you will hear the cry of a child and she conceived and brought forth Isaac. And so that's the background here. So as Paul's talking about this, he's talking about Abraham having this word from God, but facing physical evidence that screams at him and says, this is not going to happen. This is not only unlikely, it's impossible. See, if it were just the fact that, well, they were too old, they might have some magic moment, or he might find a magic pill, but her womb was dead. She'd never been able to produce a child. And part of the symbolism here is this God is showing that I take dead and make life out of it. I take your dead spirit and I bring it to life. And you can't help me do it. All you have to do is believe my promise of what I'm going to do for you. And so, but the, what we're picking up here is as Abraham, this hasn't happened yet. So now they're dealing with their senses that are screaming at them that, 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 that this is not going to happen. You know, it's it tempting. They kind of look at each other, and he looks at her and says, mm, I don't think so. You know, and she may look at him and just kind of laugh at him. I mean, they're real people. Oh, we're not going to draw this out tonight because there's some young people here. But there's, you know, they're real people. Just put yourself in that place. You know, the kinds of things you might say to one another, because we don't fortunately get all that record in here. So let's look at this, because I want to show you the a verse we're getting to. Verse 18. Who, contrary to hope in hope, I like the New American, it says, in hope against hope. So he was in hope against all possibility of hope. See, many times we limit what God can do in our lives because we look at it and say, well, there's, there's no hope for that. But with God, there's always hope. He is the God of all hope. And here Abraham believed in hope 
against all possibility of hope. And understand that hope in the New Testament, that word, does not mean what the word tends to mean for us, which was, I hope so. Are we going to get better? Oh, I hope so, Pastor. No, this word means a confident expectation to the point that you're dreaming about it, that you can see it happening. In contrary to hope, in hope, he believed, look at this order, he believed so that he might become. See, in the world, something has to become before I believe it. And the expression is seeing is believing. But with God, it's the other way around. You've got to believe before you can see. So he had to believe in order that he could become what God had promised according to what was spoken or promised, so shall your descendants be. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, some translation says without growing weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Now some of you will have translations that said he did consider his own body. And there's two different Greek manuscripts that are behind this. One of them says he doesn't consider his own body, and the other said he did. Uh-oh, there's a contradiction there. No, because it's really the same thing. Whether he, what it basically means it was staring him in the face every time he rolled over and looked at his wife. It was staring him in the face, but he wasn't moved by it. He didn't take into consideration his own body. His own body talked to him. His, her, her body talked to her because her body was all, they were both already dead physically in that sense and was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So without becoming weak in faith, he was not moved by what the physical senses, the evidence, the physical senses gave him. Verse 20, this is what I wanted to get to. He did not waver at the promise of God. Now, I, <laughs> We don't have time tonight, but I can go back and show you in Genesis a whole lot of wavering. (laughs) See, I love this, because this is God's testimony about him based on where he ended up, not what he went went through to get there. I don't know about you, but that blesses me, because I'm not there yet fully, and I'm not where I used to be, but but I'm glad God doesn't look back and say, John, when you first started, oh my goodness, were you a mess. But he counts you from where you end up. So God's testimony about him is he never waved. He didn't waver at the promise of God. I can tell you, show you two times when he was going to trade his wife in for his own skin. But he was strengthened or grew strong in faith. So faith is something you go strong in. Giving glory to God... This is what I want you to say, verse 21. And being fully convinced or fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able to perform. And this is where so many of us miss it. We're somewhat persuaded. We believe in it. We believe God's Word. We've been listening to Brother Hagin's tapes and CDs, and we've been watching somebody on YouTube, and we've been listening to all these other teachings. And, you know, Pastor, I believe in healing. I believe in that. That's wonderful. But are you fully persuaded? Are you fully persuaded? Because when you're fully persuaded, you will not be denied. When you're fully persuaded, you can wait years if you have to because you're fully persuaded when you're not fully persuaded you start checking it out I'm persuaded somewhat but I don't know for sure so you keep checking the evidence to see whether it's going to reassure you and it's going to happen but if you're fully fully persuaded you don't need to see anything I've heard the testimony of a man who I've got to shorten it down who was diagnosed with a very aggressive malignant melanoma on his chest and he just chose to t- trust God for it. And, and he panicked when it first happened. I've heard his testimony. He panicked. And I can understand that. He was not expecting that when he went to see the doctor to have something removed. And the doctors wanted to send him right to the hospital. But he began to build himself up in the Word of God. He began to strengthen himself in the Word of God. And while he was doing it, it kept getting worse. It kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it got to the point I've forgotten whether it was eight months or something like this. And it got bigger. It didn't get smaller. It got bigger. So he's standing in faith and it's getting worse. It got so bad that his wife had to buy a bra for him to hold this growth. And she had, I don't want to gross anybody out, but she had to dress it 
every morning and every night because it was oozing stuff. And this man never wavered. He didn't waver. And I've heard in his testimony, the reason is he was fully convinced in here, so what his body looked like was irrelevant to him. And the question is, you've got to come to that place where you're fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. And so we're going to look tonight about how do you get there. What does it take to get to the place where you're fully persuaded? There are people in stories in, in the Bible where Jesus, people were healed when they came to Jesus through all kinds of obstacles. There's the woman with the issue of blood, where, where in Matthew, Mark chapter 5, it's also in Matthew, where, where Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house because Jairus' daughter is dying. And on the way, this woman who had this issue of blood, she was bleeding, probably femin- female dif- difficulties, for I think 12 years, and she, she, and the, she spent all the money that she had, she'd seen every doctor in the area, and not only didn't they help her, she was worse. And she hears about Jesus coming, and she says, I've got to get to Him. Now keep in mind, in that day, in, in Israel, it was, it, was, it was illegal for a woman to be out in public on her own, and it was especially illegal if she had an issue of blood. She could be stoned for this. We're talking about fully persuaded. And not only that, when she gets to Jesus, there's a crowd around him pressing in on him as he's on his way to Jairus' house, and she's got to figure out, how am I going to get to him? Because what she said was, if I can just touch his garment, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be well. And she was fully persuaded of that, so that nothing, no obstacle could stop her from getting to him. And one of the versions says, she said, if I touch the hem of his garment. So the implication is that not only did she fight her way through this crowd at the threat of being arrested, but she did it on the ground so she could touch the hem of his garment. Nothing was going to stop her. Why? Because she was fully persuaded that if I touch his garment, I'm going to be well. And when she got to his garment and she touched it, Jesus stops. And he turns around and says, Who touched me? Because it said he felt power go out of him. And I I don't want to get off on this, but remember the order of this. She touches his garment. The power goes out of him and he notices the power is going out of him and he says, Who touched me? That's settled for me forever whether it's God's will to heal everyone. Because otherwise, Jesus would have to stop and find out who it was to know whether it was God's will for her to be healed. But she was healed before, who he, knew who, before he knew who it was that touched him. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the determination. Then there was a Gentile woman. Syrophoenician. She was from up north of Israel. Of Israel. And she had a daughter that was demon-possessed, and and she goes to him. And she says, Master, she says, you know, my daughter's possessed with devils. Would you cast the devil out? And he says, he says, he insults her. He says, I I didn't come to heal dogs. I came to heal only the children of Israel, basically to summarize it. So first of all, he just ignores her. And then he tells her to go away, and then he calls her a dog. Now you've got to understand calling her a dog is not simply just, not just an insult. What he's referring to basically is, you are somebody that has no covenant with me, with God. And I'm only here to minister the covenant children, so you don't get it, you, you, you're, you're out of luck. First of all, I forgot it. When she goes, first of all, the disciples rebuke her. The disciples tell her, get away, don't bother the master. So his staff is telling her, no, you can't get an appointment with him. But she won't be stopped by that. So she pushes through the disciples, and when she gets to Jesus, the man she's been trying to get to, he insults her, calls her a dog, and then he says, I, I'm not here to, I'm not going to heal you. And calls her a dog. Now, it's, well, I can understand, you know, pushing through the disciples because they don't know any better. But you're at the master, the one you're looking for, and he's saying, no! We can learn something from this. Because sometimes we think, oh, I guess that's not God's will, because it didn't happen. 
sometimes God's, and I'm not saying God delays it, but God's looking for determination to fight through. And she's, he says, no, I didn't come to feed the dogs, but just the children of Israel. And she's not even going to let Jesus stop her. She says, okay, but at least the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. You ready for this? Jesus stops again. He said, woman, great is your faith. The word that's used there in Greek for great is mega. We get mega bucks from that. I know you don't know what that is. <laughs> get mega gulp at 7-Eleven. Mega in Greek means enormous. She's the only person Jesus ever said had that level of faith. Why? Because she was fully persuaded that that man is the answer to my daughter's difficulty. And I don't care what anybody says, I'm getting to him. Even when he calls me a dog, I'm not going to be stopped by that. That's what fully persuaded is like. You know when you're there because you will not let go because you know it's yours. Okay, let's look at how to get there. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Everybody with me so far? All right. Some of my favorite verses, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? Is God for us? Then who can be against us? I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He who did not spare his own son. I got healed on this verse. Did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not together, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. God is not holding anything back from you. Paul is saying if he would not withhold his own precious son from you, but freely gave him up for us all, why would we think he would hold anything else back? Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ Jesus who died forever. Furthermore, is risen even if the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. So I wanted you to see the background here. Paul is saying God is for us beyond any way you can begin to imagine. He's for us, Jesus is for us, and Jesus is making intercession for us. Here's what I wanted to get to, verse 35. Because of that, understanding all that, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now we're going to talk about the difficulties we can go through. Shall tribulation, that's trouble, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril or sword... As it is written, for your sake they're killed all day long, counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37. Yet in all things, whatever the devil throws at you, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul's, this is Paul's testimony. For I am persuaded. I've often taught this. Paul did not write this sitting in a seminary somewhere with his doctorate degree as some theory. We're going to look in a minute for some of the things Paul went through. So when Paul says, I'm persuaded, Paul was persuaded by having gone through things and watching what God did for him, watching how faithful God was to him, watching how God came through on everything he promised, regardless of what it looked like, regardless of what it felt like. And based on that, Paul says, I am persuaded, convinced that neither death nor life that's about the worst thing that can happen to you, isn't it? I mean, think about this for a second. The worst thing the devil could do to you is kill you. So you're now in Jesus. Isn't that what we're waiting for, to get to heaven? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go today, but if I go earlier than I expect to go... Well, we, we, well you guys need this message tonight. We'll go on. Neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, that means good spirits or bad spirits, nor powers, nor things present, what you're going through right now, nor things to come, what's coming down the road, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, and that's everything else 
but God, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now remember, I used to read that and say, okay, well that's nice, God loves me no matter what I'm going through. Because they didn't understand the love of God. We sang about that earlier. The love of God doesn't sit in heaven and look down on you and say, I really love you. I'm sorry you're going through that tough time, Richard. But I love you. My heart goes out to you, brother. I really love you. God couldn't do that because he's told us in several places, James being one of them, and First John, that if you say you love your brother and they're in need and you don't do anything about it, that's not love. If God's going to hold us to that standard, how will he not also live by that same standard? So when it talks about God's love for us that none of those things can separate it from, that doesn't mean God's sitting in heaven saying, while you're going through this trouble, I really love you. No, He loves you so much, He's delivered you from it. He loves you so much, He wants to get you out of it. Psalm 91 says, because you love me, you call upon me, and I will deliver, I will be with you in trouble, and I will deliver you, and I will show you my salvation with long life while I satisfy you. Hundreds of promises in the Bible about God's desire to deliver you and set you free. He's already bound up the only enemy you have, Satan. Satan is, 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 a, is, is a defeated foe. I don't want to get off on this sidetrack. But Satan has no power over you if you're a Christian. 1 John 3, says, 8 says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that He might destroy the works of the evil one. Well, was He manifest? Did He come? that he must have done what he came to do, which is to destroy the works of the evil one. But how come they're still in my life? Because you've got to take the authority that you've been given by Jesus and kick that guy out. <laughs> you've got to believe it and exercise that authority and then stop giving him entrance. We give him entrance by words, we say. Oh, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to succeed. You just licensed him. You've got to, he can't do anything to you, you don't give him permission to do. Well, I can't go on that. Okay, all right, we've got, we, this is, obviously we need this tonight. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. We're talking about how we get through the difficulties of life. And to do that, you need to be fully persuaded. And I'll talk to you about what that means in a minute. He's just come through chapter 4 we just read about the grace of God and the faith in that grace is which brings our salvation and all the other blessings to us. So he begins with this, Therefore, because of this grace, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is, if you're in Christ, God is not mad at you tonight. Somebody needs to hear this. If you're in Christ tonight, God is not mad at you. You may be mad at yourself, other people be mad at you, but God is at peace with you. Go back. Yeah, thank you. Having been justified by faith, that's been done, we have peace with God. He's not angry at you. He's not angry at you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And because of that, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of seeing God, of being with Him, of the glory of His presence that we're going to be with Him someday. Praise God. All right, let's keep rejoicing. Verse 3. Not only that, we glory in... What's that say? Trouble, tribulations. This guy's whacked. (laughs) <laughs> something's wrong here when, when, when you got somebody that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament saying I glory and tribute maybe he learned something and remember we're going to see Paul's writing that not from the library of some religious seminary where he's been his whole life this man's writing that to, from prison for preaching the gospel. But he tells us the key, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Now stop, well, back, go back a second, stop there. Because you can go back to verse 3. I'll use this example, I've used it many times before, so it's not original with me. Well, it's, 
I have... <laughs> now, I, I've done, I do this. So I, I, have, I have weights in my basement, which I do use, not to make me atlas, but to keep myself trim. But I'll bet you there's some of you out there that you have exercise machines in your basement, and you have... Maybe some of you have some weights to use, and, and they, they make great clothes, places to drape your towels and clothes. They make great places to store boxes. Uh, and, and, but owning that equipment won't make you any healthier. Owning, owning a, 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 a Nordic tracker, owning a, a, a stair masters, or owning the, a treadmill, that, that will only strengthen you if you... This is really deep now if you use it. If you exercise resistance against the pressure. Through the whole treatment I went through last year, I stopped exercising. Partly because during the treatment I was just weak to do it. But after it was over, I'd been, I became lazy. <laughs> it wasn't weak, I was lazy. And I was using some things as an excuse. And I began to notice... I was having aches and pains I hadn't had before, and I didn't know whether that was a result of some of the things they'd done to me. And I was just, you know, so I mentioned to the doctor, he says, I don't think so. I think it's just you need to start exercising again. Oh, I didn't want to hear that. So then I started putting weight on, and I, I got to do something. So I started a month ago starting to exercise again. Isn't it interesting the aches and pains went away? Isn't it interesting I have more energy now? Isn't it interesting I feel better? But, but I, I couldn't do it this morning when I got up. So I, it's, it's, if I don't do it in the morning, it's harder for me to do it later in the day. But I, I'm on a roll now, so I've got to keep this going. Instead of having the roll, I'm on a roll. So, <laughs> oh, never mind. I forget that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. So I go home a little early, and i got a decision to make. And it's going to rain hard. What am I going to do? And my body's talking to me. Look, you know, you've got to preach tonight. You've worked hard. You know, I, I know you're in a role, but you can take this today off. But I decided to overcome that. I decided to make myself go down in that basement, get on that Nordic track, and do my exercises. And I felt so good when I was done. But it didn't feel so good while I was doing it. It didn't feel so good because those weights down there, that Nordic track is designed to make you uncomfortable. It's designed to make you work. It's designed to make you exert yourself and put out energy. It's designed, those weights, the only work if you, ex if you exercise the strength you have against them. And if you exercise the strength you have against them, you will increase your strength. Your strength will grow. And that's what he's talking about here. Tribulation will produce nothing unless you exercise your faith against the tribulation. Tribulation only overwhelms you unless, like those weights, unless you exercise your effort, your faith against the perseverance. And then it will produce something. Whereas the weights will produce strength and muscles and muscle tone, exercising your faith in the tribulation will produce perseverance. Keep going. And perseverance will produce character. That word character actually means proven character. Strength of character. I do not like trials and tests. I like sitting on a beach with my Bible or a nice book. I, like, I, like, I, I love to come in here and teach you. I love to preach. I was so excited today because I get to do this again. And I don't have to deal with difficult problems today. I didn't have to over, you know... But, but, but there are a lot of times as a pastor, you've got to deal with things that aren't easy. You've got to deal with some people's mess in their lives. You've got to deal with people that don't like you. And you've got to deal with all kinds of things sometimes that are designed to wear you down, wear you out, so you can't get up here and give your best. And, and, and so I, a day like today, nothing went wrong. Everything went good. So I'm looking forward to it. But that doesn't happen all the time. And I've learned that I have grown more in my faith, I have grown more in my relationship with God through going through the trials and tests than I ever have when things were easy. And one of the biggest tests of my life is what I went through last year, and still am to a degree, is dealing with this cancer and going through the treatments. But I am walking closer to God than I have ever walked in my life. My faith has grown to a level it's never been before. 
But that only happened because sitting out on my porch before each one of those treatments, I had to get a hold of God as hard as I could. I had to take that word and almost squeeze everything I could out of it. I held on to that word of God when I lay under that machine and they were zapping me with stuff. I didn't even know what it was, but I didn't like the sound of it. I lay there and I spoke the word of God. and I, See, I didn't just take it, I fought back. I fought back and it strengthened me because I fought back. And in the middle of going through those things when I was saying, I don't know that I can do this anymore. God, where are you in this? The Lord said to me, I'll be with you every day. All, I, all you need me is today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't look back at yesterday. And it strengthened my confidence that God walks with me every day. And I watched him handle situation after situation after situation for me. That would not have happened if I hadn't gone through that trial. God didn't bring it to me but he doesn't have to. There's enough of them out there. <laughs> There's a devil out there that's trying to destroy your life and my life. Your testimony, wear you down, get you to quit. But God's there to help us if we'll stand against it. And standing against it does not mean complaining. Standing against it does... You can't stand against it and feel sorry for yourself. You can't stand against it and complain. You can't stand against it and murmur. And you can't stand against it in strife. Mark eleven twenty three and 24, we talked about that a few weeks ago. The, the key scriptures on the prayer of faith, which is if you speak to a mountain, say in it, cast in the sea, da 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 and not down in your heart. Verse 24 says, So therefore I say to you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. Anybody know what verse 25 says? And while you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anybody. So forgiveness is tied with faith. Forgiveness is tied with receiving from God. That went over big. All right, praise God. I know you're thinking. All right. So, in tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now, the word hope there again is not, I hope so. It is a confident expectation of, of the results. It's that fully persuaded. It's another word for hope. Verse 5. I think I gave it to you, didn't I? Yep. But hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who was given to us. All right, we're going to move on because I want to get to something else. Now let's look at Paul's secret. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to get a little more of an insight into this man, Paul, who wrote these bold words. Bold words, like, bring on, I glory in tribulation. I get to use this little shelf now, that's good, okay. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 4, 8. See if you can ever identify with this. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. That means I'm confused. I don't know what I'm doing, what's going on. I don't understand this, but I'm not in despair. We're persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. Struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Look at that. I want to go hard pressed on every side. Do you ever ever feel that way? I mean, it's like the devil's coming at you from every side. You know, just about the time you think you've got your finances in order, some unexpected bill comes up, and then, okay, we're, I got my faith. Now the kids are sick, or you're sick, and then while that's happening else, your mother-in-law comes to stay with you. No, I won't go there. <laughs> Something else happens, and it just begins to pile in on you. I've had that happen over and over again, especially this last year. It's like, and in, in your flesh, you want to say, I can't handle this anymore. That's right, I can't. Because I'm looking... Listen, this is important. I'm looking at the pressure that's coming in on me. Paul said, go back to verse 8. Paul said, I am hard-pressed on every side. But this is how I look at it. I'm hard-pressed, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed. I don't understand what's going on. But I'm a perplexed, but I'm not in despair. 
See, you can feel when you're hard-pressed as if you're going to be crushed. But God will never let you be crushed. It feels as if you're going to be crushed. But Paul says, I know I feel like I'm but I'm not crushed. I'm confused. I don't understand why this is happening. See, so you, understand, you know, we think sometimes these great heroes in the Bible never question anything. John the Baptist sitting in jail. I mean, John the Baptist was the one that says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is the one that when he baptized Jesus, saw the Holy Ghost come down and descend on him and fill him right in front of him. John the Baptist, even from in his mother's womb, had the Holy Spirit upon him. And now he's finished his role sitting in prison and he's starting to doubt. See, when you're all alone, when you have time to think sometimes, you think on the wrong things and you begin to question things, that's the doorway often to the devil uses. That's what he did in the garden and he'll use it still today to get you to question things. Is that what God said? Am I really saved? <laughs> I heard somebody say this the other day. Before I was saved, the devil never, devil, devil never suggested to me I wasn't saved. <laughs> Only after I got saved did he suggest you. So maybe if you're asking yourself if you're saved, that's a good sign that you are. That's what he said. I didn't say that. But it's good teaching. Okay. Now, we're perplexed, but I'm not in despair. Verse 9. Persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. See, when you're persecuted often, you feel alone. Your world's turned upside down. People you used to trust in, people that you think ought to accept you, now are against you, and you begin to feel all alone. He says, I'm feeling that way, but I'm not forsaken. I've been struck down, but I'm not destroyed. See his perspective? Verse 10. Always carrying about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. In other words, I'm paying a price to bring the gospel to you. Verse 11. For we, live, we who live are always being delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal body. Verse 12. So that death is working in us, but life in you. Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. Notice, look, look, at, look at his perspective. He's in the middle of all this trial. He's struck down. He's perplexed. But his perspective is, Knowing that he who raised up, knowing, being fully persuaded that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with him and will present us with you. Verse 15. For all things are for your sake that the grace having spread through many may cause thanksgiving to bound to our God. Verse 16. Therefore, in all of this stuff, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, it's getting beaten, it's getting older, it's suffering pressure, yet my inward man is being renewed day by day. Here is where so many of us miss it. We think that we are our bodies. I'm sick. No, my house has sickness. Remember when I told you what the diagnosis was? I didn't tell you that I had prostate cancer. I told you that the doctors found that in my body. Because I'm not my body. Anymore, if they found termites in my house, I would say, I have termites. And this is an important distinction. Because if your image is you have something then affects you, your image of yourself and what's going on. No, you are victorious on the inside. See, God doesn't look at you the way you look at yourself. In fact, I'm going I'm to do a, a little example here. I just saw this. Somebody else do this. Uh, let's see, who am I going to pick? Gary, come up here. Um, Denny, come up here. And Richard, I want you to come up on the upper stage. Now I'll come up here with you. Watch the microphone. Okay. 
Richard, you're going to be the body. So turn around. You're my body, okay? Denny, you're my soul, okay? You're my spirit man, okay? Now, this is how we look at ourselves. We look at ourselves, and could me, in terms of Richard is my body. So I look at my, I'm a body, and I know I have a soul in there, and somewhere back there, there's this spirit I read about, but I don't know what it is. So, but that's how we look at ourselves. So whatever happens to my body happens to me, okay? Now I want you to come around here. Don't move. Gary, you come up here, and you stand up here. This is how God sees us. God sees us according to our spirit. This is why God can say you're the righteousness of God in Christ, knowing that you're still struggling with some issues in your life. Because those issues are not in your spirit. Step aside. They're in your soul. Or, step aside, they're in your body. But they're not in your spirit. Your spirit is holy without blame before God because God made it that way and you're born of Him. All right, now here's the key. Gary, you stay there. Danny, you come here. And Richard, you come here. Okay. Now, when something happens to our body, turn and look at him. We, we, we look at what's going on. So I'm being beaten. I'm being shaken about. I'm being oppressed. I'm having all this problem come at me. I'm losing money. And, and my soul's looking at that saying, this is what's happening to us. Ignoring who we really are in Christ and who God is in us and the Spirit of God that's in us. So we're dealing with this in natural terms. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind to who we really are in Christ and what God has... Don't turn that way. And what I know you want to get over there, but you're just crummy flesh, so we're just... <laughs> And what Paul had learned to do was to stop looking at this to determine where he was and what was going on and begin to look at who he was in Christ, who Christ was in him, and the Word of God, what God had said about him. Can you see that? All right, thank you, gentlemen. You did a good job. And I didn't pick on you because you're the lawyer, Richard. It's because you were smaller and it, the flesh is smaller than the flesh. And this is what Paul is saying here. This is Paul's perspective. We don't lose heart. Because though this outward man, Richard, is decaying, perishing, the inward man, the real man that I am, is getting stronger. That's what's happened to me. Though these things have happened to my body, though these things have happened to me, instead of making the real me weak, it's made the real me stronger. Because I've exercised my faith against the problem. So many of you, this is so good. You want to write, this is so good. This, is worth, this next one's worth coming for tonight. Remember what Jesus says, you shall say unto the mountain, be thou taken up and cast in the sea. But most of us are letting the mountains in our life talk to us. We just sit there and take it. Your body tells you you ache. Or the doctor says this. And I, nothing against doctors. We've got some wonderful doctors in this church. But they deal with the Richard side of it. They deal with the natural side of it. And they're limited in what they can do. But God deals with the spiritual side and God's unlimited in what He can do because that's what, that's what Abraham finally believed. This God that made the promise can raise the dead. And if it's not even dead, He can call things into existence that never existed before. That's the one that's living inside of you. That's who you really are on the inside. And we need to look at that part of us and stop paying so much attention to the natural side. And this is what Paul is saying here. And it doesn't happen overnight. But every trial that comes against you is an opportunity to learn to turn and do that, to look inward. I've learned to look inward. Some emergency comes up. Some Bad news comes here. Something else comes here. I've learned to look in here and listen in here because I'm confident that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and He has an answer. Jesus said He will lead you into all truth. He will show you things to come. He is my strengthener. He is my helper. 
He's the one called alongside to help me and strengthen me. He is the presence of God in me, the power of God in me. This is why Smith Wigglesworth said, I am far bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But we walk around as if the world's greater than we are. The devil's bigger than we are. What's going on? The doctors are bigger than we are. And I know, I don't, I'm nothing against them, but they're limited. All right. I still haven't gotten to the beginning yet. But this is good. Look, look, this, look at verse 17, his, his, his perspective. Now, we just read what he's going through. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. This was Paul's perspective. I think it was five times or three times. He, he, was, he, was, he went through a beating more than Jesus went through. Jesus went through it once. Paul went through it multiple times. Several times he was left a night and a day in the deep. He was overboard. He was in prisons. He was beaten. He was out there among the wild animals, let alone the two-legged animals. You'll get that when you get home. And he calls it a light affliction because the only thing they could do anything to was his body which is for a moment. So compared to what he's looking at, compared to his perspective, see, your perspective determines everything that you see. If all you ever... This is one of the reasons I bring in missionaries from other parts of the world. Because if you're... I remember... I don't want to go there. But there are, there are people that live in New England that have never been out of New England. I've met people in Maine that have never left Maine. I've met people on Aquidneck Island that have never left Aquidneck Island. So their whole world is a small island in the smallest state. So their perspective is whatever's going on right around them. And we can form a perspective that whatever's going on here is what God's doing and there's amazing things going on around the world. God's doing amazing things. When Gary Crowell comes in here and talks about what's going on in Asia and the thousands and thousands of people are getting saved every day when we have people come in and talk about what's going on in the Muslim nations and how fast they're getting saved. You don't hear that on CNN or Fox News or any of the others. But that's going on. When those things begin to happen, it begins to expand our perspective perspective of how big God is. And Paul's perspective was measuring what he was going through by all that was awaiting him. Verse 18, this is how he did it. This is what we need to do. For we look not at the things that are seen, like Richard, when we had the example up there. We look not at the things that are seen, the flesh. But I had Denny turn, but we look at the things that are not seen. Now, I've shared this before. I can understand how you can look not at things that are seen. All you've got to do is close your eyes. You're, you're seen, and I just, now you're not seen. Okay? But how do, you, how do you look at things that aren't seen? When he's referring to the things that are not seen, he's talking about the spirit world the room where, where God lives, and the world that is in you, in the spirit realm that is in you. That's who Gary represented. While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. How do you become fully persuaded? You exercise your faith by not, not paying attention to or being moved by the contrary evidence like Abraham and Sarah were of their bodies. They became fully persuaded because they became more convinced that what God could do, God could do what He said regardless of what their bodies say. There's a, that verse says, they became fully persuaded that what God promised He was also able to do. And I was reading that years ago and all of a sudden it went off in me. God had made a promise to them that there was no natural way that could happen. It was impossible by all natural terms and conditions. But the God that made the promise, they were fully convinced this God can raise the dead. And this God calls things into existence that never existed before. And the Spirit of God spoke to me. He says, and what in the world 
does the condition of their bodies have to do with anything then? How can the age of their bodies, how can the condition of Sarah's womb stop God's promise from coming forth when God has the power to raise the dead and God's words that He speaks create things? So whatever's in your body tonight, whatever the doctor may have told you is impossible. We have no answer for that. God does. And the God that's made a promise to you that by His stripes he's he- you're healed, that promise, that word, has more power in it than all the machines I went through and everything this man can come up with because the God that spoke those words raises the dead and calls things into existence that never existed before. So what does the condition of my body have to do? How can that tell God it can't happen? But it's only as you think in these terms. It's only as you meditate in these terms. It's only then as you begin to look at those physical evidence and you talk back to them and say, I don't care what you look like. I'm not moved by what you look like. I don't care what you feel. I'm not moved by what you feel. Because what you look like and what it feels like is irrelevant to what God said. I will not allow my body, I will not allow a circumstance exalted over what God said. Because I have more confidence in what God said than I do in what my body is telling me. But I didn't come there overnight. And it's easier to say standing up here. But you do that by exercising this against it. Being fully persuaded. So I encourage you to begin to practice that with something in your life. Where there's something you're believing God for. There's a promise of God. And maybe it's your checkbook. We don't have time tonight, but I could tell you story after story after story in our own life where God supernaturally provided for us, supernaturally provided for us in, in, in amount, some amounts that were staggering. I mean, literally like that. Money that was needed to buy a house and it showed up in my mailbox from a totally unexpected source. I mean, a lot of money because I needed a down payment for our house and I didn't have it. I've watched God supernaturally provide finances. I've watched God heal my body. My wife had a tumor in her breast. We didn't have money. We didn't have health insurance at the time. And the doctor felt this tumor. He says, there's something there. You need to have a biopsy. And that didn't sound good. We sat out in the car. I'll never forget it. Fear trying to get inside that car. And I took her hand. This was years ago. And I just said, we've got to talk to God right now. I said, God, I don't have any faith. <laughs> I'm, I'm drained of my faith right now. But I was honest with him. I'm drained of my faith, and we need help. I don't have insurance, nothing. Lord, I was crying out to you for help. Two days later, she wakes me up in the morning. She says, I can't find it. It just went. She's had that happen more than once. I've watched God do the impossible. But you're not going to come to that place by spending all your time looking at the circumstances, spending all your time talking about the circumstances. Well, the doctor said this, and I'm on this medicine. What are you on? (laughs) Well, I had that three years ago. Oh, that was terrible. Christians are some of the worst people at this. When my wife found out we were, she was pregnant with twins when we were in Bible school, I had to shut some of the ladies off because they lined up to tell her their horror stories. That's not what she needed. We're just casual about it because we're so much in our flesh. And then we wonder, well, I'm standing in faith. How come nothing's happening? God's done it, but are you fully persuaded? It's easy to be fully persuaded sitting in a blue chair. It's when that circumstance is staring you in the face saying, I'm going to destroy you. And I'll end with this. One of my favorite pictures I get from the Bible is in Psalm 23. Where he says, I prepare, He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemy. Just think of that picture. You've got an enemy that's growling at you to destroy you. Maybe it's cancer tonight. Maybe it's threatened foreclosure. Maybe it's something that's catastrophic that's threatening you. It's right down, it's coming right at you and it looks, and the devil's just growling at you. And you're all uptight and you went, what am I going to do? Here's what God wants you to do. 
He wants you to sit down at the table He's prepared for you. Because imagine this scene. Being able to sit at a table and enjoy a meal when your enemy's right across saying, I'm going to destroy you. You can only do that because you're in perfect confidence that the Lord who is your shepherd will protect you with His rod and His staff. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what people are dealing with here tonight, but you do. And I have to trust that the words that you have led me to speak and the word that you've given to us tonight is seed that's sown in the hearts of people as we need to hear it. The wonderful thing about your word, Father, is by your Spirit you can take it and speak many different things to each one of us according to what's needed. We thank you, Father, that we can trust you. Father, most of us, if not all of us, have been weak in our faith and, and been so focused on the circumstances and that, that, that we now be able to see, Lord, that maybe that's why we've struggled. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive our unbelief and help our unbelief. Meet us where we are tonight and help us to take that next step. For you are worthy to be trusted. Your word is worthy to be trusted, Father. And we ask you to take hold of us by the Spirit of God and help us to walk through to the other side that which we're going through right now. For that we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.